I appreciate Garrett coming up and putting the lift kit in this. Pastor Kevin said, what's the problem? You know, just be a hummingbird, you know. So anyway, here we are. That you may not grow weary. And I want to read with you Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. I'll wait until I don't hear any pages rustling. Yeah. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. For you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have not forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let us pray together. Father, we are so blessed to be your children. We thank you, Father, that you deal with us according to what is best. You are God only wise. Your ways are true and and righteous. Father, we pray that your will may be done in us as it is done in heaven. Find in us a yielded, willing spirit to walk in your ways. We bless you. Pray for every person here that we may receive this word, comprehend it, and receive encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. To begin with, uh, for the ladies, every place where it says sons here, it's generic, so it includes you, okay? And so he is talking about, first of all, us considering or gazing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, consider him. In verse 2, he has said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, that we consider him. And it's very important to understand what he's talking about here in context. He's not talking about consider Jesus from the point of view of us being motivated to attain his perfection and conduct through some legalistic endeavor. But he is talking about sharing his sufferings 
and the Christians at this time were opting out of the church in order to go back to the temple and to the old Hebrew worship uh, procedures in order to avoid persecution. And they were fearful. And the writer of Hebrews here comes to the point of, let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ and his life as he carried out the perfect will of the Father. As he walked sinlessly and healed people and did only good. And yet there were people who hated him, were antagonistic, and were accusing of him and persecuting him, and ultimately crucified him. And so the writer was saying, consider Jesus from the point of view of his walk and his desire to walk in righteousness, and yet he suffered from the hands and the tongues of many people. And we need to look at this and to understand it in order to um, make it through the Christian life. Consider him who ultimately went to the cross and died for us and the great accomplishments of the cross. In <clears throat> Hebrews 5.3, it um, says just very uh, Simply, and I have the wrong verse. Anyway, it says that he was perfected in his faith and his obedience to the Father. 5-9, five. Five, thank you. I didn't know how to, thank you, Pastor. Look at 5-9. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And so he was made perfect. Well, I thought Jesus was perfect having come from heaven. That word perfection is talking about the accomplishment of Calvary and his obedience that he attained that which he would have never realized had he not gone to the cross. He became Lord of the church. He was fully God and he was fully sinless and he was fully worthy of worship. And yet you and I would have been lost had he not suffered as he did and walked the path of obedience, and not compromised in that way. And so the point is this, that in our lives, as we endure suffering and hardship and persecution, God is doing something that would not be realized unless we went through that. And sometimes we have the naive notion that if something negative is going on in our lives or we're suffering or we're going through hardship or we have opposition or persecution, there's something wrong with us. And such is simply not the case. And so we need to consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. And this is a very substantial point of view in John chapter 15 verses 18 to 22 John chapter 15 <clears throat> Jesus is speaking of what the disciples should expect in their lives and would certainly apply to us in John 15 18 <clears throat> Jesus um, is speaking and he says if the world hates you know that it hated me before it hated you so, so don't feel weird. The people who hate you hate Jesus. In fact, the reason they hate you 
is because Jesus Christ is dwelling within you. And he says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And so don't feel like some freak if you go through hardship or you experience persecution. What to expect on the journey. The writer says here in verse 3 that we must not grow weary or lose heart. Grow weary means to be, become faint or sickened. To lose heart means don't become exasperated or exhausted or gasp for breath. Don't become overwhelmed by the things that sometimes life brings our way, but receive encouragement from the Lord looking and gazing onto him who endured such incredible hostility and hatred, and still does, by the way. He goes on in verse 4, he says, You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. <clears throat> These people are in the early stages or are mere novices in the experience of persecution. They've not yet shed blood. Jesus did. We partake of his blood at the Lord's Supper, remembering his sacrifice on our behalf. Indeed, if you don't have to be a very advanced historian to understand that the first 400 years of Christendom was continual persecution and martyrdom of the saints. Many lost their lives. And so there were those who shed blood, but these people to whom he's writing, he's saying, you haven't even shed blood yet. And kind of what's your problem? And why be so weak-hearted? Jesus shed his blood. Many had already at that time. Many are right now, and many are yet to shed their blood because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the simple facts. And so take encouragement. As a carpenter, which I am, <clears throat> I've left blood on most everything I've built. <clears throat> and uh, that's just part of the process. And you go to work and you get a splinter in your finger and you're bleeding all over a board. You don't say, that does it. I'm going home. I just can't handle this. I quit. It's just too much. And yet people do that in Christ. Oh, it hurts. Oh, I thought every, it was supposed to be a cakewalk. Everything. You guys know what a cakewalk is? Okay. <laughs> I thought the Christian faith was just supposed to be this easy ride. And I thought blessed by Jesus meant that I didn't have, wasn't going to have any hardship. He says... Here, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and striving against sin. And sin has many manifestations in our lives that we strive against. First of all, as I think Pastor Paul talked about, that internal pressure of sin in the flesh. My corrupt tendencies 
that requires serious attention and response on my part. And that's striving against sin in, in me. And then the striving against the fallen realm of the world. And then thirdly, striving against the per persecution and antagonism of evil men who hate Christ and hate us. That's a simple reality. So he is saying that they have not even come to any level of suffering at this point as yet. He goes on and he quotes Proverbs chapter 3 verses 11 through 12 in verses 5 and 6. And he says, For I have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons. And he quotes Proverbs 3, 11. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every man, every son whom he receives. It's interesting as he quotes Proverbs 3, if you go back and read the context in Proverbs, all of Proverbs chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are addressed to sons from the perspective of the father. And the instruction for life, the instruction for how to live life, how to be faithful in life, how to overcome it in life, how to deal with the reality of life. And sadly today, many people, even Christians, get their, their worldview from Disneyland, not from the Bible. And they live on the assumption that everything is supposed to be happy and joyful and easy all the time, an entertainment-driven reality. And he says here, have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as, as sons? In verse 7, he says, it is for discipline that you endure. Discipline. That's a word we don't like. I don't know of anyone who gets up in the morning and says, Dear Lord, please discipline me today. I don't know of anybody that says that. But I know we need it. The Greek word for discipline is dideo, which it, uh, our word didactic comes from. And this thing of discipline, when we think of discipline, we usually think of correcting someone who is doing something wrong. And if that's your concept of discipline, that's not necessarily true. It is in some cases. If you were to sign up in the military, as many of you have, you start out the military in a period of time that involves intense discipline. It's not because you're no good. It's not because you're useless. It is, it is intended to protect you and make you useful in very dangerous situations. And the more advanced that you go through the military, if you're going to go to special forces or the, the uh, Navy SEALs or one of those divisions or the advanced divisions of the Marine Corps, you're going to go through a lot more intense discipline in order to train you and equip you to deal with what you're going to need to deal with. 
And that's what the Lord is doing in our lives through discipline. The words applied to, first of all, to train children. The instruction and the teaching of children to cause them to learn. Potty training, how to talk, how to walk, how to brush their teeth. The basic things that we need to know in life in order to be healthy, functional people. The second aspect of discipline has to do with chastising or castigating with words. For most children, the first word they learn is what? No. Why do they learn that word? Because the parents are saying no. (laughs) And there is that castigating or that correcting, that chastising, telling the children no You cannot do that. Now that you're mobile, you know what they say, parents take the first two years to train their children how to walk and talk, and the rest of the time they try to teach them to sit down and be quiet. But the castigating and the correcting. The third aspect is to chastise with blows. It means to scourge or spank, like a father or a judge or as life does to us sometimes. I raised three boys. And I would explain to my sons, I'm going to spank you because I love you, and my scourging is much, much less severe than the scourging of the world, the school of hard knocks. And so I'm disciplining you out of my love for you to prevent you from situations that will be much more severe than anything that I will bring into your life. And that's what the Lord does in us. It's out of his love for us. And so there are serious implications in discipline as as the writer of Hebrews says, it's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And I'll get back to verse 8 in a minute, which is the reverse reflection of that thing. But there are implications in discipline that we must understand. First of all, from the point of view of earthly fathers, it is not a father's job to make the child's life easy or effortless. That's not necessarily our responsibility as a father. And the responsibility of of a father is to train children how to grow up and become adults. How to take responsibility. How to function in integrity. How to exert yourself to become a productive person in society. And so consequently... It is not God's purpose to coddle us through a trouble-free cruise until we're taken up to heaven. That is not what God's about. God has not guaranteed to any of us some kind of easy ride. It's kind of like people that sign up for a cruise ship and they go on board and they didn't understand why the price was so low until they get there and they're handed a paddle. And so it is with God. He has not 
called us to, you know, to go on a carnival cruise and to eat, drink, and be merry. That's not what God is about. A pastor friend of mine named Bill Yeager, who's gone home to be with the Lord, a Baptist pastor, put it this way. He said, American Christendom expects to be raptured off the leather seats of their Cadillacs through the sunroof to glory. And that's kind of a unique thing with American Christians. It's just kind of where we want to go. And that's what we want to expect. And if, if that's happening in our lives, then we know we're blessed. And if that's not happening, we're not blessed. The World War II generation that was described by Tom Brokaw as the greatest generation, my father's generation, experienced great suffering and sacrifice. And untold bloodshed and sacrifice to free the world on two arenas in the world, a world war. In the Pacific and in the Atlantic arena. And they paid a price. They wanted better for their children and they wanted to see their children experience less hardship and so Consequently, they went to work. My father sacrificed. He wasn't able to pay my way through college, but he helped me every way he could that I could get an education. He made it through the eighth grade before he had to leave school in order to help support the family because my grandfather was an alcoholic. My dad went to work. He wanted to see me get an education, and he sacrificed so that I could do that. And as I went off to university, I saw many children of the same generation who were doing nothing but drinking and watching television and living off their parents' money who were making sacrifices so they could have a better life. And they didn't receive a better life. They just got a lazier life. And they learned to be takers. And then the next generation came along. Their children became the Spock generation, and it got worse yet. And discipline has gone out the window. Paul borrows from a Roman model of parenting in Galatians chapter 3. And I just want to read that quickly with you and kind of explain what is going on there in Galatians 3. He is... Speaking of discipline and teaching, in Galatians 3.23, Paul says, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to faith, which was later to be revealed. Verse 24, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And he speaks of this tutor, which was a privileged slave in the household of a Roman family. The, um, he had the, the function of disciplining the child. But first, the newborn child through the young child was under the mother's nurture. 
when the child reached about grade school age, they were handed over to this tutor or child conductor, a pedagogus, that was a boy leader. And he disciplined the child severely and took the child to school and saw that the child learned and did his reading, writing, and arithmetic. And he was severe with the child. And through that time, the child learned the basic things in life that you need to have to function in an educated society. How to read, how to compose paragraphs, how to do mathematical problems. And then when the child reached high school age, he was turned over to the father. And under the father, at least three things were taking place. First of all, the father modeled responsible work and discipline before the child. This is what a man does. This is how a man acts. This is how you produce something in society. The second thing that took place is that the father incorporated the child into meaningful, productive labor work. How to work, how to produce, working alongside the father. And then in due time, the father launched the child as a mature, responsible young man able to function. And those three things need to take place in a child's life. And those three things need to take place in our life as Christians. We need not only to be nurtured, and today, the milquetoast church of Jesus Christ in this country, most people wander from church to church seeing who's got the sweetest milk. And we need to get beyond the nurturing stage and begin to be disciplined and begin to mature and learn how to function as servants of Jesus Christ, to submit ourselves to the discipline of God that is manifest and exercised through the church. And so the implications here is that it's God's purpose to bring us to maturity. And that is not an easy way. And it involves discipline. And so he goes on in verse 8. He has said in verse 7, it's for discipline that we endure. And God deals with us as sons he says, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In verse 9, he gives the antithesis of that. He says, furthermore, we had <clears throat> earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? And so he said, we have these earthly fathers, But if we are not disciplined, he says in verse 8, if you are without discipline of which you become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. That's a scary thing. What that says to me is that if we are not experiencing discipline that is many times manifest and very difficult things that we need to go through, if we are not experiencing that, then perhaps we need to accept Jesus and become a Christian. And join up. Another Roman practice in that day 
was when a child was born, it was laid at the father's feet. If the father turned away from the child, the child became a slave. If the father stooped down and picked up the child, he was committed to the training and the discipline and the raising, the nurturing of that child. He accepted the responsibility to be a father to that child. A lifetime commitment to bring this child to be an adult. I believe that this is no better conveyed than in the prodigal son. And the prodigal son got sick and tired of the father's discipline. It seemed difficult and displeasing to him. And so he decided to dismiss himself from his father for the good life. I'm tired of dad telling me what to do. I'm tired of going out and working. I'm tired of being responsible. I'd rather party. And so he chose that path. And as you know, he came to a pig pen epiphany. And he realized that a slave in his father's house was better than a king in the world. It was better, better to be a slave in his dad's house, whom he once loathed, than to be a big shot in the world and starved to death in a pig pen. And so, as you know, he returned home and he presented himself to his father in full submission and willingness to do whatever the father asked. Just please tell me, I will do it. I just want to be here. That's the picture of our relationship with God. I've tasted the world. I want to be here. Whatever it takes, I want to grow in Jesus Christ and mature in him and to be a fruitful, effective servant in the kingdom of God. Amen? Whatever it takes. He goes on in verse 9 and he talks about our earthly fathers. He said, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of the spirits and live? And he talks about our earthly fathers. Now, I don't know your dads, but I can guess something about them. <clears throat> they weren't perfect. Amen? And I'm a father, and I certainly was not a perfect father. But I loved my kids, and I disciplined my kids, and I did everything possible to move them toward maturity. So we're not perfect Another thing about earthly fathers is we're not our kids' friends, nor are we their adversaries, but we are their fathers. And we have a God-given responsibility to exercise fatherhood in their life. We had fathers responsible to get us to become what we need to be, adults. And the writer of Hebrews said, we had these earthly fathers, and we respected them. <clears throat> That's almost lost today. In our society, lost to the generation gap that says everybody under 20 is really smart and everybody over 30 is an idiot. A wise son respects his father. A son may say, well, you just don't know my dad. A wise son 
respects his father. He talks about our father of spirits. He says, shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? The father of our spirits. Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time. Our heavenly father disciplines us for a lifetime. We want to become like Christ. And it's sometimes a difficult and excruciating process. And if anyone here tonight is going through real difficult times, I hope that you're being encouraged. We're driven by submission and willingness. He says in verse 10, they disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Pastor Kevin's been talking about sanctification. That's the process of holiness. And God is working that process in us. And sometimes it's a very difficult process and we must understand that it's God who is working. And you may say, well, why would God ever do that? He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He's working for our good that we may share his holiness. He produces what we aspire to become, Christ-like. Someone invented this phrase, the law of indirect means. <clears throat> and what it means is, if you're trying to get there, sometimes you need to focus at another thing. And that's the way life is, is that we don't become like Christ through th some legalistic system but we become like Christ by focusing on Christ and the hardship and the sufferings and the difficulties that it may take to become like Christ. And I can remember as a young Christian listening to songs of aspiration and, and consecration, and that's where my heart was. And the Lord, through that aspiration and consecration and my complete dedication to Jesus Christ, I followed him places I never dreamed that I would go. Beyond my strength. And I just have to say before you that the darkest times in my life, and I've had some dismally dark times, have been the times that Jesus Christ was so near to me. It's like I could feel his breath. And it's not some dismal, terrible, gruesome thing that God puts us through. It is a wonderful thing that he transforms us and we don't even see what's taking place. We're being transformed into his likeness. Driven by our submission and willingness. We become useful in ministry to others. Because we've been broken. And we're prepared for eternal glory. Through a character that is transformed. You're going to lose your hairline when you go to heaven and whatever you look like is not going to matter there. But one thing that's going to be there is your character that is formed by Jesus Christ that will carry on into all eternity. The writer points out all discipline in verse 11 for the moment seems not to be joyful. And for me, discipline seems like it's taking forever. Could this please end? 
But after you've gone through it and you look back, you say, wow, that was marvelous what you did there, God. And it really didn't take that long. But man, when I was in it. Discipline is temporary. It is good for us that we be trained by it. Discipline has huge benefits that cannot be measured in dollars. He says, after we have been trained by it afterwards, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness, that, that sense of God's presence, and it results in eternal treasure. I just want to conclude by reading a couple passages in 2 Corinthians, if you'd turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And look at this from the Apostle Paul's point of view. And if you know 2 Corinthians at, at all, you know it's a category of the hardships in Paul's life, a catalog of the hardships in Paul's life. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, <clears throat> he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also the comfort is in abundance through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we're comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And what he's saying is that Paul really went through it. And that's what made the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul, probably the greatest missionary that the earth has ever seen, the greatest minister, the greatest writer that he could touch our lives with his words is because of the brokenness that he endured in his life and the hardship. And God's discipline with him, truly a spiritual marine, powerfully used by God. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Paul says, therefore we do not lose heart but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. God is doing an everlasting work in your life. He's doing it. He's doing it because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yes, he saved you, but he's also your Lord. And he will bring you to things and through things that are difficult. But because of his grace and his power and his love for you he's doing something more magnificent than you can even comprehend he's doing it right now because he loves you because he's a faithful father because he is committed to the purpose for which he has called you and he will complete it 
Father, I just thank you for these dear people. I do not know each of them, some of them by name, but Father, you know each one. Father, you're working in each of our lives. And we just thank you that you love us so much that you are willing to even bring us to periods of breaking and difficulty that you may do your gracious work in us and transform us in ways that we never dreamed possible. We want to take these moments thanking you for your faithfulness, thanking you that you're not a Disneyland dad, Amen. that you're a, the faithful father, Lord of the church. Yes. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Awesome word. I learned it the hard way. <laughs> <laughs>